Asshole Cord is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. You've heard it a million times. Life doesn't come with an instruction book. And life is complicated and hard sometimes. So wouldn't it be nice if someone could provide you with a guide on how to answer those questions that come up throughout the years? Questions like, should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I move? Should I dump my lawn trimmings in that back corner of my neighbor's yard that they never really look at? Human beings have been looking to special individuals, gurus if you will, for guidance throughout human history. People that possess a perceived wisdom to help guide them throughout those difficult patches and decisions. Of course, in a modern world that is driven by economic motives, a lot of people make an effort to step into that role for people. For a price, of course. And the subject of today's show is arguably the most successful at doing that in history. Tony Robbins is likely a name you know, even if you don't swim in the self-help pool ever. He's a bona fide celebrity in his own right and has made an eye-watering fortune telling people what is wrong with them and how to improve their lives. But is there any real value to his advice? Or is he just another huge grifter in a long line of them going back centuries? Grab your seminar tickets, open up that New York Times bestseller on how to improve your life by listening to podcasts, and listen up as we try to cast a light on the biggest self-help guru in all the land on this episode of Asshole Court. All right, before we get into preliminary scores, I want to give a shout out to our Patreon folks for voting in the show topic poll and selecting Tony Robbins for this latest episode, as well as the subject of our next show that you'll hear uh, in a few weeks. If you aren't on our Patreon, jump on there by going to patreon.com forward slash AHC podcast and vote on shows and get cool shit like AHC stickers and cups. You have to type it in because Patreon won't list us on their search engine because we swear and stuff. They don't seem to mind taking their cut, but they don't want you to find this apparently. And uh, based off one suggestion from one listener, uh, Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N yes. dot com slash A-H-C podcast. Yeah. That's how you will find us. If you go to Patron dot com slash A-H-C podcast, well, we have a tequila brand that's coming out shortly. <laughs> You're going to get that 404 page not found, boy. That's right. <laughs> anyway, even if you don't want to give us money, you can still check out some polls and other stuff that we'll put on there. So with that in mind, let's get to preliminary scores for Tony Robbins. Randy, what you got? All right. So oddly enough, first time I ever heard of Tony Robbins um, was during one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie of all time, Tommy Boy. Hey. Um, in one of the scenes, um, it was kind of a heartfelt moment between he and David Spade. 
And uh, Chris Farley said, hey, it's Tony Robbins. And I didn't know who that was at the time. Okay. And then I, I found out who it was not soon, you know, soon after. And I was like, oh, that's who he was talking about, the motivational speaker. He's been around like that long? Yeah. They're for a long time. Oh, yeah. Wow. Because that's I like mid 90s, right? It is. And I didn't, I didn't, I forgot about that scene. But yeah. Hey, it's Tony Robbins. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was also in the, the Shallow Hal thing when he ran into him in the elevator. And the best line oh, of that yeah. ever was he was like, My God, man, your fingers, are, your hands are like banana hands. <laughs> <laughs> but he, was, he wasn't in Tommy Boy, but he just said his name. And that's yeah. kind of what, yeah, that was my first interaction. But going towards the self help guys, right? Mm hmm. A lot of this, like you said in the intro, is, and we kind of talked about it before the show, it's a lot of the, the common sense things that yep. you know you should be doing right. Yeah. Um, but if somebody has a dominant voice yeah. and has background music playing and tells you in an intimidating way, you may listen a little bit more. That's right. You know, so um, I don't know. I always kind of feel as though I don't buy into, I'm not a very impulse buy type of guy. Right. So when I hear self-help and like, I'm my I'm like very guarded, I guess, when yeah, I listen yeah. to this skeptical. Stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you read a lot of the stuff they put out, and if you just read it for what it is, it's a lot like religion, right? All the religious books are good in theory, right? Yeah. Treat people good, don't be an asshole. Yep. Um, you know, and respect your neighbors. That's yeah. kind of, and, and it's kind of the same thing with these motivational self help guys. It's like, oh, fight through the the tough times, you know, stand up and go. You got to push through it. That's no shit. You know, that's take a shower daily, you know, (laughs) make your bed, (laughs) clean up your mess. So, and what kind of alludes to his asshole score is the amount of money that he's made off of. I'm not, they're not, it's not simple minded people because I've met really intelligent people in the business world that like subscribe to this, like all over it. So off the rip, I've got him at like a 5.67. I think is where I'm going to have him pre-show. 5.67 for Randy on Tony Robbins. Yeah. Buddy, what you got? All right. So for me, you know, I've I've seen clips of Tony Robbins online, but I, I really don't follow him whatsoever. So mm-hmm. I was excited when I saw that the Patreon crowd decided to uh, put him up at the top of the list. Yep. Yep. Um, but, you know, uh, on one hand, since I don't really follow him, I'm a little confused about it because you just look at the surface level and it's just like him really trying from what it, you know, the picture that he tries to paint is that he's just trying to help everybody. Right. And you know, if you're kind of stuck in a rut or, you know, you're um, just at that same job, but don't know what to do, you know, yep. and you really want to take it to the next level. He's that kind of guy that can, you know, be your co-pilot That's right. in life and, you know, help get you there. Dump so, those grass clippings into your neighbor's yard, buddy. <laughs> That's exactly. Just do it. They're not going to look good in your yard. So, uh, <laughs> Just put them in your neighbor's yard. So, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I It's hard for me to, you know, right off the rips, give him a big asshole score when it seems like he, you know, seems to be doing good out there in the world. Um, so I'm interested to see what we uncover in the show because, you know, secretly I hope he is a bit of an asshole so that way his score can jump up for me. Right. But right off the rip, I got to assume that if we're saying the average person is a three or four, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've got to give him a 3.5 off the rip just because if he's out there motivating people to do yep. better and really, you know, a lot of people like Randy said, you know, even a, a lot of highly intelligent people are like, hey, man, I subscribe to this and, you know, this guy's helped me out. You know, I, I, I got to assume that he's out there doing good in the world. So off the rip, I'm going to give him a 3.5. OK. Yeah. Totally average guy. All right. Yeah. 3.5 for buddy. Mikey, first thoughts. Uh, so yeah, cause I, we, you know, I don't know. I was like, I know Tony Robbins. I don't know a lot about him, but I know the self-help 
game, right? Like, uh, and I'll get into this more as I as, as I go because it's been sort of in my life one way or another since I can really remember. I'm with uh, Randy on that. I'm, I'm very skeptical, uh, and it does feel like a lot of it's like common sense and just sort of you know telling people what they should probably already know deep down, anyways. And at the end of the day, like you know, it's a product, right? You're selling a product, and um, yeah, I don't know. It kind of falls into my general disdain for consumerism anyway. So it's <laughs> another product that just irritates me. And I'm an asshole. And we've talked about it many times on the show. Um, so, But I will start him off, uh, or I would say before I did the research on the show, I would start him off in the 5.25 range. All right, 5.25 from Mikey. All right. With a 5.67 from Randy, a 3.5 from Buddy, and a 5.25 from Mikey. Tony Robbins' pre-show asshole score is a 4.8. All right, 4.8. Interesting territory for Tony Robbins' pre-show. He is just above Oprah Winfrey at a 4.75 and just a tick below our first show ever, Ty Cobb, at 4.83. That's right. Wow, Ty really needs to climb the ladder. Well, I think Ty may have needed to talk to Tony because, boy, he had a lot going on. (laughs) He did. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. All right, were you guys ready to make a breakthrough? Help me. Let's get helped out. I'm ready to help. Tony Robbins is born Anthony J. Mahavoric. Anthony J. Yeah. Mahavoric. Mahavoric on February 29th, 1960 in North Hollywood, California. That was a good switch to Robbins. Yes. Well, you're going to see why he does that. (laughs) Uh, His family is working class and problematic. He's the eldest of three siblings, and his parents divorced not long into Tony's life. He's just seven when they split. Following the divorce, Tony's mom apparently remarried a few times before settling in with a semi-pro baseball player named Jim Robbins, who ultimately adopts young Tony at the age of 12. They didn't say how many times she got married in between then, but they said a couple times, and that's five years. Ooh. Tony Robbins' mom running around a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, a little married, too, which is a different thing, because you have, you have your... Your classic like single moms that are just like out Plain. there hooking it up, and then the ones that just like are uh, uh, you know, habitual marriers. Yeah, like what are those like army chicks and stuff like that? I, where yeah, you know, like marry right before the yeah the guy gets enlisted off it's, it's or whatever. A, it's a, it maybe a, a product of that generation, but I remember like my mom when she got married again for the third time. I was like, why? Why do you keep going back to that trough? You know what I'm saying? Like it's just I don't know. Between my parents, they have six marriages. I was like, I think. You know, once you get one, maybe, maybe two. I, For me personally, I'm like, if, if it doesn't work out with me and my wife, I will never marry again. Yeah. You know, my grandmother married three times. And yeah. uh, I remember when my wife and I, my girlfriend at the time, we were dating and we quickly decided to move in together. I told my parents that and they were like, well, you know, you got to call your grandmother and tell her that, you know, you're going to be living in sin out yeah. of wedlock. And I was like actually nervous as fuck yeah. to like tell her like I, I respected my grandmother a lot and I told her finally and she was like I think that's a smart idea and then I was like oh, actually that does make sense grandma third third time married over yeah. there. she's yeah. like you need to make sure yeah you know. give it a test drive <laughs> exactly I don't know why that's so crazy you know <laughs> Tony attends Glendora High School and like many teenage boys in the tenth grade he hits a growth spurt the difference though is that Tony Robbins growth spurt 
came straight out of a comic book. <laughs> this motherfucker grew 10 inches in a year. Yeah. God, damn. damn. Yeah. Dude, that had to be painful. I was about to say, you know, to be fair, when you see Tony Robbins now, it's really easy to imagine him growing 10 inches in 17 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> because he looks a bit like someone gave Frankenstein's monster a 2004 club guy makeover. <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me of Bull from, uh, what was that? Uh, Night Court. Night Court. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Richard Mall was that guy's name. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, this massive growth spurt was due to a tumor on his pituitary gland. And yes, I knew that and still decided to make the joke that he looks like a famous <laughs> literary monster. So I should probably seek self-help myself. M Mikey's asshole score just keeps ticking up. <laughs> anyway, Tony Robbins proves to be an impressive young man. He is a super athlete. Thriving in basketball and winning the All Valley Slam Dunk contest. Well, he had the fucking pituitary gland issue. Yeah. It's like the kid with the massive appetite. Oh, he won the eating contest. Well, no <laughs> shit. You know, like yeah, he's an incredible student, and he wins a full scholarship to Harvard University and the National Merit Scholarship. Wow, wow. Harvard, huh? He also got selected to be a <laughs> junior NASA astronaut, understudying a program at Edwards Air Force Base, training on the then brand new space shuttle as a side project. Tony Robbins consumes an entire bugle saber over the course of a summer. <laughs> None of this is true in the slightest. Uh, I thought the jasternaut part was going to be it. <laughs> be true. None of it's true. Not the basketball, the scholarships, or the NASA nod. Although, I think there's a non-zero chance that Tony Robbins has eaten a car. That man's jaw, it's like an industrial compactor, I swear to God. Anyway, <laughs> you hit the switch on his back, like start the jaws. <laughs> how, how, what was the uh, what was the uh, the transformer that was a dinosaur? Yeah, there was a couple yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, he was 100%. one of those. Yeah, I was thinking more of the metal mouth or the guy from the James oh, yeah, Bond exactly, movies that yeah. would just oh, eat yeah, the metal. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> anyway, the reality is that aside from having a foot of growth in a year, Tony Robbins is, from everything that I could find, relatively unremarkable as a young man. He often mentions that his home life was chaotic and his mother was borderline abusive to him, that she abused prescription drugs, and that he was often employed to procure them for her. When he wanted to go to college, he says that his mother practically forbade it because she was terrified of losing him and his support. Like, she was leaning on this dude pretty tough. As Tony, go to the pharmacy. Give me some lewds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's tough, too, because he talked about I've heard a little bit of him talking about it, and he was like, you know, my mom was a great person, but she also had a penchant for drinking and also pills and once those two got together man she would beat us and the stuff loop. like that yeah, yeah. And, you know and i'm like she's drunk and on pills you should be able to slip that punch pretty easy you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean you should <laughs> you know slow motion it's I, yeah. I i spent a lot of my time on youtube watching drunk guys get beat up by bouncers at bars <laughs> because <laughs> it's hilarious they're so sure of themselves <laughs> uh like i said whether that's true or not like i have no idea there are a couple of different stories that I read, the one with his mom blocking him from college and another where he leaves home at 17, never to return and takes a, like, a job as a janitor, and yet another in which his mom kicks him out at 17 and forces him to live out of a Volkswagen for a short period, which reminds me of that scene uh, from The Simpsons where the giant man uh, is driving the Volkswagen and Nelson makes fun of him, and then <laughs> the giant man gets out and forces Nelson to walk through the town with his pants around his ankles. 
it's impossible to know <clears throat> what's real. But what I do know is that there's just it like isn't much out there biography wise on Tony Robbins, at least in terms of the usual stuff I find on show subjects. Seriously, it was frustrating. This has been one of the tougher shows I've ever had to go into. Huh. And like, right, because there's not a lot there. And I think that a lot of this is by design, but we're going to get into that in a little bit. He bullied the internet into redacting all of it. Don't do it or I'll eat your car. <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat your servers. Uh, what we do know is that instead of heading off to college, young Tony Robbins gets involved in the self-help movement. This is the late 70s. Okay. Before, right out of high school? Right out of high school. Okay. All right. Uh, everyone listening now is likely familiar with the concept of self-help. You might even own a book or two. Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, perhaps, or How to Win Friends and Influence People, or maybe the timeless classic, In Search of Good Pussy, Living Without Love, which is a real fucking book, by the way. I found it on Amazon. I was intrigued. $15 later. That's it. That's it. But uh, you might be surprised that self-help is a concept as old as time. The ancient Egyptians were the first to record their attempts at telling their fellow Egyptians what was wrong with them and how to be good at everything. Uh, like, you know, the author would tell them, this is what you need to do. They did this in a writing genre known as sabot, which means teaching. A letter of advice from father to son, the maxims of Taho, Tahotep, that's a tough one, it's actually spelled P-T-A-H-O-T-E-P, so I'm going to go Tahotep, uh, was written circa 2800 BC and it advocated moral behavior and self-control. And similar ancient Greek texts offered meditations, aphorisms, and maxims on the best ways to live. During the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, Mirror of Prince's books told stories of kings whose behavior should be imitated or avoided. Uh, these would be like similar to today's inspirational stories like Chicken Soup for the Soul, uh, except that they were also like uh, they included cautionary tales. Sure. One story was about a village idiot who was sad because he was tired of being mocked and shunned by his neighbors. But fortune smiles on him when the rest of the village contracts the Black Plague and dies <laughs> agonizing deaths. Damn, I thought he was going to go on like a mass stoning spree. No. Convert to real times yeah. where like an isolated, deserted, kind of depressed person yeah. loses their shit and goes yeah. and kills a bunch of people. Yeah, I also. Michael Douglas style and. Uh, <laughs> What's oh, falling down. Falling down. down. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I didn't do that. Also, that story's not real. I made that up because I thought that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> whole village dies of <laughs> fucking black plague. plague, and he only survives because they all avoided him. I was like, that seems good. Yeah. Uh, then in 1455, Gutenberg makes mass printing cheap and relatively accessible to the masses. Naturally, we see a boom in the self-help genre of books that are published. During the 1600s and 1700s, conduct books told men how to behave in polite society and were popular in Italy, France, and England. In France, they were known as savoir vivre books, which I don't know what that means, but like savor life, I think. Well, sounds right. Uh, topics covered included, quote, loathsome and filthy things. <laughs> I like those. The dirty stuff. Yeah. Blowing the nose, hair cut round like a bowl dish, and beards of a frightful length. Huh. Did not make those up. That is true. <laughs> I was uh, you had me until haircuts of a bowling. I know. And I, I was wanted like, oh, a, here we go. I wanted a Dumb and Dumber joke in there, <laughs> but it was uh, it's, it's a fucking joke in itself. That's a real <laughs> chapter in one of these books. I like it. By the 19th century, books on weight loss, parenting, marriage, time management, uh, home management, etiquette, success, 
self-control, mind power, grief, and home remedies, amongst other similar subjects, were being gobbled up by the masses. And a lot of it, like now, was total bullshit and downright dangerous. One such uh, self-help article I found, for instance, was titled, I had appendicitis and cured it myself. <laughs> had a boy. Had a yeah. boy. That's strong. Yeah. And my, my, my stomach's been hurting, but don't worry. I got it. I yeah. got it right here. I yeah. cut it out myself. Yeah. I did the work myself. Yeah. Ice in the bathtub afterwards. Yeah. You know. Laid on my tummy. I'm thinking that at least one person died because of that shit. <laughs> had to have happened. Of course. I don't trust the doctors, so I'm going to do this myself. That's just going on right now. <laughs> I don't need any of that bullshit. I'll just fucking put this onion on my belt. It's, it's <laughs> game over. But absurd or not, the genre is arguably the most popular like of that time. For instance, when a collection of inspirational stories about hardworking men rising through the ranks titled Samuel Smiles Self-Help appeared in 1859, the same year Darwin's Origin of Species was published, the only book it didn't outsell was the Bible. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, have you guys read any self-help books? No. I don't think I've ever read any self-help books. I mean, like, I've read, like, The Art of War. Yeah. That, well, that, is that technically a self-help? They bring it up in this, uh, like, this article I was reading about that. It's sort of being one. It actually got, like, um, sort of repurposed for, uh, like, business exec- executives. executives in the 80s, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read it. I was just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess, yeah. but... There was a whole like group of dudes in the eighties that were just like, "This is a life changer," shit like that. You know what I mean? So um, I did read. I as lame it is to say it. I'm in a book club at work. It's not lame. It's and, all right. Uh, <laughs> it's not lame. We uh, we read books, and a lot of the books that we read are like management based stuff. Mm-hmm. Who moved my cheese? Yeah, well, a little bit like that. But the books we've kind of gravitated towards, I call them business fiction. Like, what the hell does that mean? And it's just a story about a fictional office, but it's very real life and like the issues they deal with are kind of similar to the shit you deal with. And sure. Um, yeah. So anyway, these business fiction books are pretty entertaining. Yeah. And um, those are kind of the books we've all been reading. lately. Yeah. So do they ever get Randy? No. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, they do. But the, some of the guys do get like handsy and weird and they get fired. And yeah. The, and the stories. Yeah. So it's like the seminar I get when I start a new job. They're like, don't do this. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll be honest. So I, when I uh, was in my early 20s, my dad actually gave me a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. Car- yeah, yeah. Carnegie, right? Carnegie. Dale, Dale Carnegie. Carnegie. And like, I remember my girlfriend at the time saw it on my desk. She was like, what a fucking loser, dude. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. But I was like, the title is strange. I was like, but really. It is, again, it's common sense, yeah. but it does teach you how to interact with people. At the time, I had a sales job, and it was just, uh, the, the the idea of is it like, ask people about themselves. Yeah. Make, yeah. like, you know, like, see what they're interested in, and that sort of uh, opens up doors for you, right? Like, people like to talk about themselves, and so if you are sort of a conduit for that, then the odds are, like, someone will be like, oh, this guy really listens to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one of the jobs I went to put me through a Dale Carnegie yeah. seminar, yeah. you know, for like, I don't know, like something like two months or something yeah. like that. And it's pretty valuable. I mean, honestly, from like, a, uh, you know, from like a professional sense, I know it sounds weird and it obviously is, uh, you know, there's it's, it's it, it feels like you're manipulative or whatever. But really, it's just kind of saying, like, look, man, like, just ask what's going on in people's lives. Yeah. You know? And it makes sense. And gave you a couple like tips on how to remember people's names and yeah. stuff like that. So that way you don't seem like an asshole. Well, every and time Dale you Car- walk in. Yeah. And Dale Carnegie was never like telling people like, this is going to solve all your problems. Right. He's like, no, no, no this is it just, just how helps. You, yeah. This is how yeah. you open doors for, to make sales or to like, 
I don't know. Network e- extend with in relationships, you know, with the people you deal with. Exactly. Yeah. Social currency, I guess, maybe. Yeah, pretty much. You know, you want to, you know, get along with people you work with. That's a great way to do it. Anyway, by the time that young Tony is coming of age in the 70s and 80s, the world is filled with self-help masters like Norman Vincent Peale and Zig Ziglar. I remember my dad had Zig Ziglar tapes in the car all the time when I was a kid. My dad was really big in the self-help movement and stuff like that. There was constantly these tapes on, and Zig Ziglar was like his guy. And, you know, it worked for my dad. He's, I see a lot of the Zig Ziglar quotes. Yeah. I don't, I haven't heard or listened to a lot of them, but I see a lot of the quotes. Yeah. If you look, any kind of like inspirational, motivational, yeah. he's usually attached to it. My dad was yeah. really trying to work his way up in like the corporate world and stuff like that. And for a long time, it helped him out. I mean, I guess, you know, it's uh, but it just was such a weird thing as I was going through this. I was like, I remember getting in the car and me and my dad just like driving and then it would just be a Zig Ziglar tape. And I totally tuned out. Of I just remember his, his voice. His voice was there, but I don't remember. I wasn't enough to lull edition. you to sleep. Exactly. You know. Uh, and as a teenager with apparently little direction, Tony attaches himself to then locally famous motivational speaker Jim Rohn. Rohn was a smaller player in the self-help world. He was a guy that started his career as an HR manager for Sears, but got involved with a side hustle in an MLM called Abunda Vida, which sold, you guessed it. Nutritional supplements. Uh, It's always the nutritional supplements. That's right. And this story sounds like a million that are happening like right now. Just replace Sears with Amazon uh, or some shit and Abunda Vita with like LuLaRoe or doTERRA or New Skin. Yeah, 100%. Or essential oils. Exactly. Yeah, doTERRA is essential oils. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 1957, Roan leaves Abunda and joins NutriBio, which does the exact same shit sells people questionable vitamins and supplements. But in this setup, he ends up getting in close with NutriBio's founders, and this launches him to be one of the company's biggest distributors. Okay. So big, in fact, that they put him in charge of NutriBio in Canada once they entered that market. So he's kind of the top of the pyramid. He is, yes. They're they're sending him out to new markets. You're going to be the guy that, 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 that runs the whole show. But alas, no matter how good Roan might have been, the company had deep problems. Besides being built on a mountain of utter bullshit, and it collapses in the early 1960s, and Roan is left flapping in the breeze. Like many of the downline reps, he had manipulated into selling bullshit supplements to their families and rando suckers. So he gets a little taste of that, which is kind of cool. But the people that are successful at MLMs invariably have one thing going for them, right? They are smooth talkers and tend to have an undeniable presence and zero ethics. They're master salespeople. Yep. They're like the used car salesmen of the world. Exactly. Except for people can use cars. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I'm saying? That's the difference. It's That's the difference. It's like That's what always blows my mind. When I see these guys that are like top of the game at MLMs, I'm like, if you apply this to an actual practical thing, you could be doing super well and actually respected. And I, you know, you can... I guess counter that by the thought that they've just gotten so damn good mm-hmm. at that one little silo of business. Yeah. They know how to talk to people. They know how to sell this product. They know, or sell their little list of products. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, but that is like what they know. That's right. If you were to try to plug them into a corporate world where they had to do a lot more of the people interaction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It may not translate as smoothly as you may think no that's true and also if it ain't broke don't fix it they're already making tons of money i say they're banking already yeah Yeah. 
But we've talked about that before. Like, uh, for instance, there was that uh, Netflix special on the Tinder swindler yeah. or yeah. whatever. And we we're like, dude, that guy could be selling houses yeah. and like oh, making yeah. so much money. Yeah. You know, but yeah, if you refocus your purpose and then also, I mean, there is a value to to being a good salesman. Like people can say whatever they want to. But if you're a really good salesman, you can make a fucking ton of money. Oh, yeah. 100%. And, and really sort of any aspect that you're in. But they choose to sell the shittiest stuff. Like, but I, I wonder if, are, are the margins just better in those shitty things? I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, I have no clue other than just like uh, observing from afar. And I'm just always like, why are you doing this when you could just really go into somewhere else and sell a, a really like a legitimate product in a corporate setting? And I don't know. Maybe it's like, you know, big fish, small pond sort of setup where you targeting those people that are like naive is easier than right. somebody like, you know, if you're having to put like a full sales pitch together for a company, it gets a little bit more difficult. Yeah. 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 I don't know. You're not selling dreams. You're selling an actual product. And shortly after the collapse of Nutribio, Roan's gift of gab is recognized and he's invited to speak at his Rotary Club chapter. And of course, like he's great, right? So he's invited to speak at others. By 1963, Roan is like, fuck supplements, man. My product is me and my story of success. And he sets up his first public seminar at the Beverly Hills Hotel, where he tells the story in his personal development philosophy. By the 1970s, Roan has plugged himself into the corporate world and is giving seminars to behemoths like Standard Oil for a hefty price. Oh, wow. Okay. So he plugged himself into the corporate world. Yeah, he did. Wow. Yeah. And this is right around the time that Tony Robbins meets him. Side note, another guy that Roan ended up mentoring was Mark R. Hughes, the founder of Herbalife. Oh, man. So uh, Herbalife's like the one of the original MLM schemes. Right. Yeah. Oh wow. Amway was the first, but yeah. Herbalife was right up there. So yeah, thanks for that one, Jim Rohn. <laughs> Anyways, Tony Robbins attaches himself to Rohn and another set of gurus, Harvey and Marilyn Diamond. These two were responsible for the 1985 best-selling diet book Fit for Life. Fit for Life was a total pile of trash that is based on an entirely debunked early 20th century diet theory known as natural hygiene. Some ideas from it. Eating foods in the wrong combination causes them to rot so they cannot be assimilated. Eggs rot in the body. Fruits and vegetables being high in water content can wash and cleanse the body of toxins, but when fruit is eaten at the end of a meal, its absorption is blocked and it ferments. What? Yeah, needless to say, despite it being... <laughs> All right, hang on. I was trying to figure out the wrong order. Oh, shit passes in a day. Like... Yeah, it's dumb as fuck. It's yeah. it's completely insane. It's like no n no dietitian out there in the whole world is going to tell you that this is makes any sense. That cabbage at the end of the meal is going to become kombucha. No, with, it's uh, kombucha. It's, yeah, yeah. This is really great for you, but you have to eat it before you have dessert, or otherwise it's totally a waste. This is like gremlins. Like, don't eat after midnight, otherwise yeah. you might spawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people love that shit. I mean, they like I said they're cribbing off stuff from like the 1920s, which is just total trash uh needless to say despite it being totally dumb the book sold over 12 million copies wow. uh, that's when people bought books too yeah oh 12 million yeah, books it was get you done up man very very cool everybody thanks 12 million people that are dumb as fuck <laughs> <laughs> hands up give me all your money well enough money for a cheeseburger from the value menu at least we are now live on patreon Find us there at AHC Podcast to get all the latest episodes of Conspiracy Court, ad-free shows, shout-outs, stickers, and a whole lot more. It would be a crime if you didn't. Big thanks to all of our fans, and we appreciate all your support. Let's dive back into the action.
At the time that he's under the tutelage of the Diamonds and Roan, Robbins is living in a tiny studio apartment in Venice Beach, washing his dishes in the bathtub, he says. It's kind of like that show from the 60s, Kung Fu, but for swindlers. You know, he's suffering as he learns an art form from his master, and when he does, he's released from the temple onto the world. Apparently, he and the Diamonds had some sort of falling out, uh, but I couldn't find anything in, like, in detail on that. He just says that they had a falling out. We parted ways. That's right. Either way, Robbins takes off like a rocket ship. He begins setting up his own seminars around L.A. And he moves to Del Mar, which is crazy expensive, even though at that time he's only making about $40,000 a year. Okay. Tony is struggling a bit at this point to set himself apart from the already large pack of life coach slash self-help gurus roaming the strip malls and hotel business offices of Southern California. Another self-help guru that Robbins was running around with at the time was a guy named John Grinder. And let's be honest. <laughs> the famous uh, app producer. Yeah, we know where this is going. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Like, That's a perfect name for a uh, professional self-help guru or a horny gay guy seeking <laughs> random hookups in Griffith Park bathrooms. Either is great. Yeah. You just choose. They both track. Anyway, Grinder <laughs> has been using a firewalking ceremony in his seminars as a confidence builder. And Tony's like, that's my shit now, bro. <laughs> Stealing that. And the incorporation of firewalking into a seminar is where things really take off for self-help giant and actual giant Tony Robbins. <laughs> he quickly becomes a much-desired speaker at all sorts of things, like dumb corporate events that nobody outside of HR departments gives a shit about. Leadership lunches and team-building weekend seminars and whatnot. In 1985, Robbins is invited to be the star speaker at Super Camp, an elite super camp in Southern California. Super camp? Super camp. Sounds like something our parents would have signed us up for back in the 90s. I like, wish. To we send did. us to. My parents didn't have that money. <laughs> it would have been pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly enough, this was also the same camp that Ernest P. Worrell saved from an evil mining corporation <laughs> just two years later in the, in the documentary Ernest Goes to Camp. Nice. You see that Frankenstein over there, Vern? We're going to make friends with him, Vern. I actually spent a little time on the Ernest Goes to Camp Wikipedia page to make sure I got that right. <laughs> anyway, when one of the teens at the camp, a girl named Stephanie Scott, goes for a walk through the woods, she spots the star speaker, Tony Robbins, then 25, and a female camper also in the woods. Ooh. She recalled seeing Robbins towering over the slight figure of a female camper, pinning her arms back as he kissed her forcefully. Quote, he was going for her. His whole body was pressed up against her, Scott recalled. Quote, I wouldn't want to be pinned, she said. Not like that. Another camper, 16-year-old Eva Bush, is nearby too, and she also spots the makeout sesh. Eva Bush in the bush? That's right. I ate the bush. <laughs> <laughs> the girl that was seen being kissed by Robbins, who was under the age of 18 at the time of the event, Ooh. corroborated the testimony of Scott and Bush. She recalled in a 2,400-word account provided through her lawyers, he forced himself upon her, kissing her and groping her breasts in a prolonged sexual assault. Moreover, nine other former campers and staffers said that they were told directly about an inappropriate incident either by the alleged victim or by Robbins himself. That camp was not super. It was not. <laughs> no. Not super. It was not. Traumatic, yeah. 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 Traumatic camp. 
Super traumatic. Trauma camp. Sign your kids up today. <laughs> yeah. Get groped by a motivational speaker. I know. It actually would just be like, I wish my parents would have put me in it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I was like as a target demographic there, but you know, hey. I'm going to rub your front now. <laughs> <laughs> Another former camper, uh, Jennifer Munn, provided journalists with a diary entry dated August 25th, uh, 1985, in which she wrote that Robbins had, quote, basically started to molest a girl. It is a completely perverted thing to do, she wrote. Yikes. Oh, I was wow. going to make a joke about a giant starting to, yeah, yeah but that's no, not yeah, really. We'll leave no, that out tasteless. for a minute. That's a good one to curb there, Randy. Yeah, <laughs> that's tasteless. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a motivational speaker. I'm stating the obvious. That's right. That's right. I don't make jokes about young women getting sexually assaulted. That's right. More than 30 other present at the camp that summer recalled hearing secondhand at the time that Robbins had made sexual advances towards a teenage camper. Former camper Craig Nichols said, quote, everyone knew about it and everyone was freaking out. And two former counselors, both adults at the time, said that they had spoken to the distraught girl and reported her claims that Robbins had forcefully kissed and touched her at the camp. Of course, Robbins and his attorneys say that unequivocally, nothing of the sort happened. And he was never officially charged or sued over the issue, uh, as far as I could find, so we'll never know. But that's a lot of witnesses to just shrug off as like an obvious say, falsehood. So everybody at the camp saw it happen, and he's like, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Oh, yeah. You guys you did not see that. Nope. Yeah, Via's attorneys are like, this is ridiculous. Because this was actually like dredged up in like the past couple of years by BuzzFeed, and uh, it, you know... That's the only time it really made any publicity at all. And so it's 20, 30 years later or whatever. Yeah. So he's just like, I definitely didn't do that shit. And his attorneys were like, he didn't do it. So you can't, you can't know, but who knows? Time, times were different back then. And a lot of that stuff didn't really see the light of day. But as we've seen in the show time and time again, where there's thought smoke. you were about to say stuff like that was just kind of like accepted back in the day. I'm like, damn, buddy. No, but no, I mean, no, a lot of stuff it was, was it just was, brushed under the rug. Uh, for no, sure it was. Right. You know no, what I mean? sure it was. But yeah. I mean, like, as we've seen time and time again with the show, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. So, yeah. you know. I mean, there's no way to know because it never got pulled up into courts of any sort. There was never even, as far as I could see, there wasn't even like a, uh, a civil suit against them or anything like that. But when a woman recently brought up the Me Too movement at one of his seminars and wanted to talk about the like women's safety in general, he physically like shoved her down the aisle. Seriously? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sort of kept pushing her back. I actually looked it up because I was like, I read it and I was like, I've got to see this to make sure there isn't. Right. I'm not losing this in translation. And it was it was strange. Questionable. He, actually, he ultimately apologized for it after the fact, and he was you know whatever. But he. <laughs> He really don't want to talk about that Me Too shit, bro. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Either way, it doesn't matter. Robbins never returns to Super Camp because he ends up with uh, like much bigger fish to fry. By the end of the, uh, of the 1980s, Tony Robbins is a national star and a multimillionaire. Before he's 30. I mean, he's worth a ton of money, dude. He's successfully grasped onto the infomercial format by that point to get his message and his face in front of millions of people at once instead of restricting himself to like a space limitation. Right. So, the, you know, it used to be with Roan and those guys, they were you would book hotel seminars and your conference rooms and you'd have that and everybody that shows up can pay. But by the 80s, you have the opportunity to, to put out an infomercial and he absolutely takes advantage of it. Sure. And he's got celebrities hawking for him at that time. Guys like Fran Tarkenton and Martin Sheen and LeVar Burton. Wow, wow LeVar. Yeah, LeVar data. Yeah, you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got New York Times best-selling books, 
unlimited power and awaken the giant within. <laughs> Wait, that's just me waking up every morning. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> he's charging nearly $200 per attendee for a sales course at this time. Nice. Yeah. He's charging $5,000 per attendee for a two-week course in Hawaii. That sounds like fun. Well, I don't know Expensive, about Expensive, but fun. I, yeah, just the trip to Hawaii sounds fun. Not yeah, so not the whole, talking like... Talking about that all day. Yeah, yeah I was like, these these seminars last forever. You have to... Imagine going for a, uh, like, a timeshare. Yeah, that's what I was about like, to say. It's like a timeshare in Hawaii. You know, yeah, you know, but, like, yeah, but instead of, like, being able to walk out after a few hours, you're stuck there for, like, 12 hours a day for, like, six days. So you, you're in Hawaii. You get to look out your window, and then you have to show up and watch a giant be like, are you ready? Are you ready to do this? Uh, he's charging $400 for a fire walking session. A set of tapes are $180. And a lot of people are happily partying with their money then and now. As of this recording, Tony Robbins has a net worth estimated to be somewhere between half a billion dollars. Jesus Christ. Really? From the books and the TV shows and everything. And the speakings and the. Damn. Jesus Christ. 500 mil. Mm -hmm. So, what is it? that Tony Robbins is talking about in these seminars and tapes and books and pseudo-tribal rituals. Everything. Seriously, Tony Robbins will tell you how to be a better salesman. He'll tell you how to be a better father, a better mother, a better lover, a better leader, a better money manager, a physical giant that grinds the bones of your enemies to make bread. (laughs) He's your coach on how to access your inner self, to optimize your life performance, to show you the areas that you need to work on. To get a better sense of what the draw was for Tony Robbins, the reason that he has people like Oprah Winfrey eating out of his palm and serving as megaphones for his message and brand and product line, well, I decided to attend his flagship event, Date with Destiny. It costs anywhere from $4,500 to $8,000 to attend and lasts six days. And honestly, I ain't got the time or money for that shit. <laughs> so I attended remotely for free with my Netflix subscription and I watched <laughs> I Am Not Your Guru. <laughs> nice. Yeah. The Fly in the Wall documentary follows Robbins throughout the event at home and in action during the seminar in Boca Raton in 2015. Side note, this documentary was criticized by some for effectively being an infomercial for Tony rather than a, like a dive into his life. Mm. And I just want to note that real quick. Was it? I, yeah, I mean, there was not a lot about him. Okay. It was just literally, it was, a, 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 and that's why I described it as like a fly in the wall documentary. They just sort of show up with cameras and they're like working, orchestrating with his camera crews, see where they can be at at certain times. They More don't like take, a behind the scenes than an actual, like, yeah, okay. it's a behind the All scenes right. thing. And, and there's no take one way or another. There's no real substance to it at the end of the day. It's just more like, hey, this is what he does. Yeah. Well, this is why a lot of people were like, dude, I mean, there's not much here. You're just showing his uh, event or whatever. But it was great for me. I was like, this is good. So I get a real good sense of this, right? I get a sense of what this whole thing is. Like, what does it feel like to go to a Tony Robbins event? So I sat down on my couch a few days ago and prepared to give my cringe muscles a thorough workout. (laughs) And a workout they got indeed. Nice. But before I get into it, I want to point out again that there is an absolute dearth of biographical information on Tony Robbins out there. You can find basic elements of his life, but nothing in depth. And again, I think this is like absolutely his intent because being enigmatic and like largely unknowable allows him to morph into whatever he needs to be for his audience. He talks about himself a lot, actually, but is never specifics beyond his general struggles and making himself into the powerhouse he is now. 
So I felt like the best way to understand him for the purpose of the show was to watch him in his natural environment, a shitty seminar. <laughs> Sounds right. So he's kind of like a chameleon. He can kind of change and kind of mm-hmm. morph into whatever that specific event needs him to be. Yep. And just kind of roll with it. That makes at, sense. If you're you know, in front of a bunch of salespeople, it's one speech. Yeah. If you're in front of a bunch of like depressed people, it's a different speech. Exactly know? right. Yeah. And that's the thing. Even this uh, article that I that I sourced uh, from it was a L.A. Times article from '91 when he was really starting to get famous, and they even bring it up like midway through the article was like, we don't know much about this guy. He's telling us certain things, and then like we're trying to track him, and he just like shuts it down immediately. Like he's talking about, oh, I bought a house for like my mom or for this or that. And they're like, Oh cool. Well, you know, like where's this house at? And he's just like, I don't want to talk about that. That's not important. Hmm. You know? So yeah. this, this has been an ongoing thing. And that was the difficulty for me with this show was that normally the source material provides opportunities for itself, but there's not much there. Right. He's intentionally vague, intentionally vague. Yeah. yeah. He talks about himself constantly, but it's never specifics. Never like I did this or I did this. It's like, Things were tough. I went through a hard time and I figured out how to persevere. Now, the documentary starts with the attendees of Date with Destiny and they're getting ready to enter the building for the start of six days of personal journeys and life-changing events. And these people look fucking pumped, bro. And it got me thinking, like, what type of people are forking over five fucking G's to attend this thing, right? And the crowd is incredibly diverse looking. Young, old, men, Women, black, white, Asian, gay, straight. It's across the board, right? Self-help culture transcends simple racial age and gender demographics. But so does religion. Yeah, yeah sure. Absolutely. And a commonality between them uh, seems to be that people that are engaged in either offering are looking for intervention from a third party to save them from something. Sure. Yep. And I've always suspected that there is a self-help subculture, like a demographic that looks at self-help as their own form of religion to like some extent. Yeah, sure. And publishing statistics seem to bear that out. For instance, one report showed that 80% of self-help book customers are repeat buyers. Oh, wow. All right. And they're just looking for that answer. Maybe yeah. it wasn't over in this book, over. but maybe yeah. it's in the next one. Or yeah. I might have gotten something good out of this, and I'll go on to the next one to see if I can get, get something it. good out of that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Another publisher suggests that most of the purchasers don't get past page 20 if they even open them at all, right? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's the consumer getting a dopamine pump just from purchasing the book. As another article pointed out about Robbins, some people say it isn't action he's selling, it's the illusion of action. Taking a screenwriting class is not the same thing as writing a screenplay, but it feels like something is happening. Something as opposed to nothing. Yep, that's right. Man, so he's tapping the same well over and over again, yep. and they're happy to fork it over. That's right. It's the gym membership you buy at Christmas to get into shape in the new year, but give up attending in March. That's yeah. right. Sounds about right. Yeah, sounds right. Lastly, a study showed that those who consumed self-help books had higher levels of cortisol, the stress hormone, and were more likely to have like depressive symptoms compared to those who did not. Although that could be like a chicken or the egg issue, honestly. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they're depressed. That's why they're reaching out. Or maybe there's a driving yeah. force. I, I, it doesn't matter. They're a certain type of people. Obviously, they know their their demographic. There. That's right. Yeah, susceptible to these kind of tricks, I guess, if you will. And he's tapped into it. Yeah. So I'm thinking about this as I'm watching all these people filter into a Tony Robbins weekend seminar like they're rushing into Disney World with the only fast pass in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And I like immediately I know that this is very obviously designed to have a concert atmosphere. The production crew talks about how they like to usher the crowd in and get them hyped up to the max. 
They're playing inoffensive techno pop with the vocals reminding everyone life will never be the same. And people are high-fiving. And even though they're not all white, they're all white people dancing for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> like beach balls are dancing around. I'm serious. I was watching. I was like, oh, my God, this is wild, dude. Yeah, me and Randy saw the same thing back in the 80s when we went to the uh, oldies, concert, the oldies concert. And the Beach yeah. Boys are playing and the beach balls are flying yeah. and everybody's going nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's that sense. It's the same thing. That, in that documentary, they're like, you know, he's at his palatial mansion in Palm Beach. And this is at, uh, you know, just it's 20 minutes away. And he's like getting ready. He's going over his notes and stuff like that. And he gets into his, his car and he's asking the guy, like, how, how long is this? 25 minutes or whatever? Like, yeah. And he's like, that's perfect. So they're timing it perfect. So he's, he's communicating with the team that's there that's getting the crowd amped up. And he knows he's like, I got 25 minutes to be there. Right. It's just, just crazy. It's, it's not even there. Not yet, no. Wow. Not even right. there. You would think I would be there, you know, yeah. like hanging out in the back or, yeah. yeah, being in the green room or something like yeah. that, ready, feeding off of the energy of the building and stuff like that. Yeah. He's just fucking, he's just getting in the car and going and he's, he's doing like vocal exercises. Ma, 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 ma. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sally yeah. sees, sells she shows at yeah. the seashore. Yeah. And his fucking house is badass. I was actually I like, imagine it dude, is. he's like in there, like uh, in his gym and it's like literally overlooking the ocean and, and I was like looking at the waves. I was like, those are pretty decent waves. I <laughs> damn they skip this fucking seminar and <laughs> try to get out there. It's got like the Tony Stark house, like right there on the right on the yeah. you know hillside. Yeah, and, it's not you know. cheap property either. You can have yeah. a mansion like that anywhere, but in Palm Beach it ain't it ain't cheap. Well at half a billion, I hope you got a nice house. Yeah. Uh and at peak energy, when the crowd is amped up to its absolute core, Tony shows up. And they send human mech warrior Tony Robbins in to kick off the show. <laughs> and he does like, before he goes out there, he like claps his hands and he does like a Michael Jackson spin backstage right before like he rushes out there. And I realized that I've never seen a real life giant do a spin like that <laughs> that didn't involve a post up in the paint. <laughs> He shows up and the crowd fucking melts, man. I'm sure. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, chicks are coming. It's fucking wild. <laughs> and Tony sets the table. He tells him that he created Tony Robbins. He created him. That's right. Out of thin air. Fuck that, dudes. <laughs> I manifested this Frankenstein, motherfucker. That's exactly it. And he also says that like changes in life do happen instantaneously, even if they don't seem like it in the moment. That the week with him was uh, an opportunity to have breakthroughs, as many as they wanted. A veritable salad bar of life-altering breakthroughs. Yeah, man, it's a choose-your-own-adventure salad bar, pretty much. He said, as many as you want. You choose your level of engagement. You can change your life as much as you want seven times right now. <laughs> just like that chick in the back did. I just saw her come seven times. <laughs> After I pinned her down. And, uh, I he, gave her the panty-melting seminar. <laughs> He tells them that he's not there to fix them. They're not broken. That he isn't their fucking guru. And that's another thing. Tony Robbins says fuck a lot. Really? Like all the time. Like Really? Like too much. And that's coming from a guy on a podcast titled Asshole Court who doesn't withhold and <laughs> like dropping the F-bomb freely. So take it for what you will. But as Tony keeps saying that he uses taboo language to speak authentically and break through to people... I can't help but feel like I'm listening to a 13-year-old who is trying to impress his older cousins or something. <laughs> it feels it feels Forced. it feels distinctly inauthentic. Okay. That's weird cuz like I I wouldn't 
really put that uh, on Tony. Like, he doesn't seem like the guy that cusses all the time. Like, for instance, like mm-hmm. the Gary Vaynerchucks that mm-hmm. cuss the entire time. Yeah. And while I know that we're not the biggest fans of him on the show yeah. here, at least he does seem to be a little bit authentic in that sense, where yeah. Tony seemed, would seem to be very inauthentic. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, if you watch that shit, it's every other word is like, fucking shit. And it's also like sexual innuendo and strange things and... It's, I, you know, we're going to get into this, but huh. it's, it's kind of wild, man. How many times have you listened to an episode and thought, man, I wish they would have said this? Well, now with our interactive social media pages, you can. Let us know what you think about our show subjects and give us your scores. We'd love to hear from you. Well, most of you, at least. Let's dive back into the action. Anyways, Tony keeps the crowd in check and controls the pace the whole time. Occasionally, he'll ask a question that the crowd must answer. Something like, who here is ready for a breakthrough? Say I. (laughs) (laughs) And the the crowd responds with an enthusiastic I. This call and repeat confirmation serves as a short leash for Robbins anytime he feels like the crowd is starting to fade. The guy is like undeniably a master of crowd control. When he's talking to people... And, like, they're trying to, like, get through it. You know, he's trying to, like, walk them through what they want to talk about. If it starts fading, he'll pause and he'll automatically be like, who here has felt like this? Say I. And everyone's like, I. You know, and the fucking beach ball flies over. Chicks yeah. titties pop out. It's, That's a, it's a very basic sales technique. Absolutely. When you're, you're speaking to a customer or a client, you just want them to literally and physically shake their head yes and say the word yes mm-hmm. uh-huh yeah like and it's not even about what you're selling it's just in general yep the more you can get people to engage. literally engage engage and nod their head up and down you're pulling them closer that's right that's what we always talked about when i was selling cars back in the day was even as you talk to them you're just nodding yeah yeah, yeah. everything's a yes he's like the fred durst of the uh motivational speakers yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Beyond that, what Tony likes to do is talk for a while, usually about like his own spiritual growth in the vaguest terms, like I said, and then take it to the audience and have them share their stories or problems, or like both, usually. The first girl he talks to, well, she has a problem with her diet. She wants to know how to get better at like diet discipline. Tony goes full Socratic method and fires off a series of questions that eventually circle the girl into saying that a lot of her issues stem from her not getting the attention she wanted from her drug-addicted father. Which, yeah, typing it out like that really like kind of drives home the oddness of the interaction, but in the moment, it felt very natural. Yeah, She's asking a question about, like, how do I get better about just sticking to my diet and taking myself like, and he's just like, what's your dad like? Right? <laughs> yeah. We got to get to the root of the problem here. That's exactly right. That's, a, that's exactly right. Ultimately, Tony offers up some generic feel-good advice. He says that she has to remember that there is good to her father, too, and that she can complain, but that she has to remember to complain about the good stuff, too, that the difficulties that she faces are what makes her who she is. Then he goes into how his own mother was abusive, but that she was who made him who he was, so he appreciates her. Without her, he'd be in a very different place. Which is funny because I listened to probably about three motivational speeches from Tony coming into this. And that's exactly what he said in every one. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom, you know, I, I could sit there and say that, you know, I came from a crappy home and I could have had a crappy life. But my mom is the one who kind of pushed me to be up here and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Can you oh, yeah. Me? Tony my Robbins, mom, the old trickster. That's it. <laughs> Getting tossed around like a salad. At least you married him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tony Robbins. Yeah, it's like the, he's pulling out his, uh, you know, it's a, the greatest hits of Tony Robbins. <laughs> How does my mom's abuse of me relate to what you're dealing with? It's always what he goes back to. He tells a girl to call her dad at night and tell him everything. You know, how she's feeling. All the things that she's upset about. And her mom's actually there right like right next to her. He gets her involved too. It's whatever, you know. But she agrees. Music goes up and the crowd loves it. Boom. Like, it's it's a production. It's sure. wild. Yeah. Because yeah. even though the documentary was admittedly like, you know, not, not disparaging oh, yeah. him, but it was showing the whole production set. And so like, you see a production person that's like waiting for the moment for the cue, and then they cue that music up. They slide that knob up, and all yeah. of a sudden, everybody's fucking amped, dude. You almost wonder if it's like a plant or something like that. I don't think it's a plant. I think he just knows how to like work a crowd. Yeah, and yeah. Know what questions to ask. Yep. In the right scenario. Yeah. And like I said, all of it seems like rather unimpressive to me, but you know, nothing crazy. Maybe this girl will call her father and mend a relationship, and that seems okay. Good even. Although I feel like the diet question kind of got left on the shore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Day two, Robbins picks another woman out of the audience to air her grievances. He asks about her father, always going like Freudian, it seems. Uh-huh. She says that her dad is the tits. <laughs> like an awesome dude, an amazing guy. And Tony says, he taught you that you were his little princess, didn't he? And she nods. She's like, yeah, he really did. And Tony pauses, and then he responds, motherfucker. <laughs> what? <laughs> what an asshole. Yeah. yeah, don't be good to your daughters out there. Yeah. The lady seems confused, but she laughs it off because she's in front of a few thousand people. Yeah, after yeah all, sure. Right? On the spot. Side note here the dressing down of an audience member is a commonality with Tony Robbins and other self help pros. Like, I found this Forbes article, it, it really honed in on this. It says, quote, What the most successful gurus understand better than the rest of us is that life is inherently uncertain. And that uh, that is completely terrifying. To cope with this reality, we humans construct myths, belief systems, and societal self-soothing mechanisms to make up for like our feelings of being insecure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Publicly calling on us to, quote, look in the mirror taps into this powerful dynamic. It tells us, along with everyone else watching, that life's trials aren't simply the result of chance. Ironically, it gives us hope that all it takes to make our dreams come true is to change the way we are. And as such, it isn't long before our sense of reality and self-worth depend on these truth tellers. Mm -hmm. So Tony tells her that her dad meant well, but that he taught her she didn't have to do anything to be loved. He says, he's a beautiful man with a big heart that fucked you up. And I'm thinking to myself, didn't you just say that nobody attending is broken, but now you're saying this lady is fucked up? Well, yeah, and like, fuck that guy, because if her dad is awesome and she agrees, my dad's awesome. He's like not part of the problem. He's like, no, he is part of the problem mm -hmm. because he was good to you. Like, yeah. I don't have a daughter. I'm thinking of Buddy on this one. But, like, yeah. Buddy's a great dad. And I can just imagine, like, his daughter going to something like this and be like, no, your dad's the issue. And I'd be like, yeah, I got an issue with that. Like, you don't know me, motherfucker. Yeah. You know? I swear to God, if some Tony Robbins motherfucker turns <laughs> yeah. my daughter on me. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, it, that was bro. the first thing I thought it was, like, that <laughs> dynamic. I was like, I don't know if I buy to that at yeah. all. Yeah. You know? It's not great. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not. Anyway, he continues breaking this lady down, saying that she's entitled, which, again, you just met this lady, Tony. Yeah. How could you possibly break her entire psyche down from one question you asked? It's wild, but it gets worse. They talk her divorce, right? She obviously is like recently divorced and her ex-husband. And Tony talks about like masculine versus feminine men. And he asks her if her dad was masculine and she confirms it. He's stoic and quiet. 
But her new boyfriend, she says, talks all the time about everything and his feelings and it's driving her crazy. And Tony decides it's because the new boyfriend is feminine. And then he tells her to call and break up with him right there, saying, pick up your fucking phone. And he walks away with a smart. Her soul leaves her body. (laughs) You should see it. Oh, man. Imagine imagine being put on the spot in front of like 5,000 people. Imagine being the fucking boyfriend, knowing your girlfriend's at this Tony Robbins thing. You get a call from her in the middle with, hey, babe, what's up? Like, hey, I'm with Tony Robbins and it's (laughs) over. What? What? what is happening what? right now? Yeah. Now, you of course, spent five thousand dollars to learn how to break up with me. You, I, I paid for the shit. <laughs> paid for half of it, probably. God damn it. Yeah. Well, he gives her an out, of course. He's like, if you don't really want to do it, you won't, and you'll tell me no. It's that, that sort of thing. But it's obvious that she's uncomfortable and she's on the spot. She's in front of two thousand yeah. twenty five hundred people, and so she does as he tells her. Takes her phone out of her purse, calls the boyfriend puts it on speaker, and breaks up with him in front of 2,500 people while Tony Robbins points the microphone at the phone. What a dick. The boyfriend hangs up on her and the crowd erupts. It's horrific. Wow. wow. It's like I feel uncomfortable. I have like secondhand embarrassment mm-hmm. just here sitting in the in the studio, but like, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the fuck? I go. almost feel like he's at his mansion. He's like, I'm going to throw a twist into the show today. Uh, believe I'm going to end a pretty nice relationship. I'll set up uh, some person today and completely fuck their, fuck their life over and turn everything upside down. See how this goes. That's right. Awaken the, <laughs> awaken the giant awaken within. Awaken the giant within. That's right. Unlimited power. I need a new highlight for the end of my show today. Mm-hmm. What's it going to be? That's it. Day three. Tony and his team have spent the night before going through crowd bios obtained at the beginning, right? So they have oh, team wow. members that go out there, they talk to, they break them up into groups of like 20 or 30 people. They're like, tell yeah. us about your story, blah, blah, blah. And then they all write all these things down and they're going through the notes on all these people. Uh, and they're trying to like red flag attendees, people that might harm themselves. Like, so, you know, they would go, okay. they have, a, a, his team would go out there initially. They'd break people off into groups of like 20, 30 people get their bios, and then they'd write them all down, and they'd bring them back so they can kind of figure out who the who audience to talk is. to, the yeah. high-risk people and stuff like that. Yeah, and I will say that they, they seem to make like an honest effort to protect these people, like the suicidal people. That's good. He asked the audience once he gets out there on the stage, uh, who is currently suicidal? A few people timidly raise their hand and stand up. He goes to one girl. She says she's suicidal. She's like at the end of her rope. Tony asks how old she is, and she says she's 26. Uh, I think, I can't remember if that's exactly right. Somewhere around there. Tony scoffs, oh, give me a break. You can take another 30 years of this shit. You're not that fucking weak. Uh, the crowd loves that shit. They really? Love it. Oh, yeah. They're like, yeah. I mean, he's trying to make it as like a joke or whatever, you know. That's what he does. Uh, a lot of times he's like trying to be like tough, but, you know, just messing around with them. Uh, she explains that she was raised in the cult, the children of God, which meant that she suffered a lifetime of horrific sexual abuse. Oh, man. It's truly heartbreaking. She talks about how her entire family has been broken by this cult. And for a second, I think I can see Tony mentally going, oh, fuck. <laughs> I went down the wrong path yeah. on this one. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. You know, it's it. it he seemed like he was like, ah, shit. Tony tells her that she is stronger than she knows, that she's a miracle for making it this far considering the struggle that she's been through 
and that she has so much left to do. She has so much value to give this world. And he wraps her up in his King Kong arms and embraces her for a long time, a tear running down his cheek. The crowd is a mess. The camera pans around people blubbering and wait, rewind that. Is that the AT&T girl crying? It is. It's the girl from the AT&T commercials. Oh, no. Ugly crying. Are like, you what kidding the fuck? me? Oh, man. She's the chick with too. the black hair or brown yes. hair or whatever. Yeah, something like yeah. that. I had to rewind it. And I was like, that is her. Is she That's a her. plant in this or is she like oh, no, really like there. real life? She's there. They don't even make a big deal about it. It just happens to pan over to her and it's it's 100% the AT&T girl. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Listeners, go ahead and watch it and you'll see what I'm talking about. Anyway, it feels like a heartfelt moment for everyone. Uh, Tony invites the poor suicidal girl to stand up on a chair and everyone cheers for her. And although uh, I find myself thinking that this poor girl really needs extensive therapy and counseling instead of a $5,000 moment in the sun, I think, I mean, this can't hurt. But then Tony takes it a step further. He tells her, I don't want you. I love you. Which I get the sentiment, Tony. She's a sexual abuse victim. But it feels a little icky. That's yeah. cringeworthy yeah. right there. Ew. And then he tells her that there are, quote, men out there who just want to send you love. And that's all they want is to just send you love. So he tells her to pick out three what he titles uncles from the crowd to be her male support system in the world from then on. This shit's going sideways. I'm feeling icky right now. Yeah. yeah. Two things. First, why call them uncles? Yeah. Yeah. Considering her background and what she dealt with, which was like massive amounts of sexual abuse from people. Uncle were Steve. Yeah. Yeah. It's a creepy choice. And second, this poor girl is talking about a lifetime of sexual abuse. And your solution is to pair her up with three totally random dudes. Dudes. Yeah. No. Who will bring you love. Yeah. He tells her that by looking into their eyes, she'd know if they were safe. <laughs> no risk there, right? <laughs> and that they, quote, have... No agenda. Again, it's like the concept of date rape doesn't exist for Tony Robbins. One of the, quote, uncles she selects takes her hand and kisses it deeply and creepily, and I'm physically squirming at this point. Dude, I haven't even seen this, and I'm, like, uncomfortable right now. Yeah. I just imagine... Uh, he's like, and they have no agendas, and it cuts to the guy before he walks into the Tony Robbins thing, and he's like... Creepers agenda. Yeah. <laughs> it's like get on stage. I'm interact. here to meet I'm here to meet easy targets. Yeah. yeah, like I'm picturing Rudy Giuliani on the bed, like in the uh, hotel yeah. room. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm just adjusting my shirt. <laughs> uh backstage, Tony admits that he's never dealt with that issue before. So that's good. Because I figured that pairing a sexual abuse victim with three randos to guide her through her trauma was definitely the standard professional treatment. Wow. Side note here. A classic study published in the American Psychologist has, has suggested that because self-help is often layman helping layman, the solutions described in self-help books and seminars may not take into account an, like an individual's nuanced symptoms, which a psychotherapist is trained to interpret. The study, which reviewed over 100 studies and case reports, also found that self-help treatment plans were often not easy to follow and were likely to be misinterpreted by the intended audience. You can see that. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for me. I clock out. I'm done with Tony Robbins' like total experience for the rest of my fucking life. People talk about how the Office episode Scott's Tots is almost unwatchable because the cringe factor is so high. 
Well, please feel free to add. I am not your guru to the list because at least for me, it makes Scott's tots feel like taking a Xanax and climbing into a hot tub. <laughs> oh, wow. So thank you, Patreon fans, for this <laughs> show subject, I guess. But whatever. <laughs> Tony Robbins isn't going anywhere. He'll continue to be paid $300,000 on average for a speech. His program, Unleash the Power Within, will continue to net him $9 million a year. Oh, my God. He'll continue with Date with Destiny in another program he does that costs $10,000 to participate and his 2,000 attendees on average. And that half a billion dollar fortune will likely hit the big boy B mark all by offering somewhat obvious advice and, quote, hard truths. And some people will get help, and a lot of people won't. But it got me thinking. If someone put a gun to my head and told me to write my recipe for a rewarding life, what would that look like? So prepare yourself for the Mikey from AHC Podcast (laughs) Seminar. Roadmap to serotonin and dopamine. Admission price, only three minutes of your life. Nice. I can't wait. I'm I'm locked in. Well, these actually are sort of honest, though. (laughs) (laughs) There's some jokes in here, but I was just thinking, like, what? So, and you guys feel like feel free to like fill stuff in. Like, what are things that you've like learned in life, right? So, for me, one is like learn to manage your time and prioritize tasks and events. Yeah, yeah. Do your best to be self-aware and be introspective. You will fail at this at times, but can't stop trying. Third is like set realistic expectations in life. And then the people around you, you aren't going to be the president most likely. And your best friend will give you a couch to crash on if need be until his wife has had enough. And that's expected (laughs) and normal. (laughs) Set realistic and healthy goals for yourself and track them. And the corollary to that is push yourself, like update your goals as much as you can spend less than you make and learn to make that extra money work for you. Like safely. Uh, There's a lot to be said about correlation between financial security and mental security. Work on improving yourself in places that actually require it and nothing beyond this. Like, you don't need to have six-pack abs when you're in your 40s. It's okay. Like, just, it's okay. You're all right. It's all right. It. Yeah. yeah. Try to be healthy. Make sure that, uh, you know, your heart rate's okay and your cholesterol is good. Uh, and I said that requires rule number one and two. Uh, and don't neglect your loved ones while you do this. And I struggle with this one, honestly. Like, I get sidetracked on projects and I'm like, I should spend more time with my family, but it's tough. Fuck that. The podcast rules everything. (laughs) That's it. Admit when you're wrong immediately and freely and apologize when required. This also requires rule number two. You have to be like, "Uh, I fucked that up. I'm sorry, man. Find a form of exercise that you enjoy and do it religiously. Like make it a part of your life. Don't judge or mock people for things that they can't help. Mostly physical attributes like gigantism induced by a pituitary tumor. (laughs) I'm still working on this one, obviously. (laughs) Cut out toxic people from your life. Once you recognize that they're actually toxic, nothing wrong with that. You have a fucking asshole in your life and you you have an attachment for because you have a sense of history with each other. Like, get them the fuck out of there. It doesn't matter if they've been with you since you were a teenager. Right. Cut them out. Yep. Find hobbies that enrich your life and spend time doing them. Exclude financial gain from that equation unless it's like inherently related. I like to invest. It's obviously part of the thing. You know, it's whatever. Read books. Continue to learn. Dive deeper into subjects that interest you, but don't hold like that knowledge over people's heads uh, if they don't know or if they don't have like similar interests. Every once in a while, make yourself uncomfortable and go hike into the woods and spend the night so you can remind yourself how good it is to actually sleep in a bed. Yeah. And plus, nature's like pretty great. 
if you have children, do everything in your power to make them better like people than yourselves. Praise loudly, correct discreetly. Know that everything is ever-changing, interests, situations, friendships, love, professional life, etc., and accept that. Try your best at whatever you set your mind to, but know that you can do your best and still fail, and that's okay. We uh, had a business before me, and Randy had one, and we tried our ass off and did yep. everything right and still got our ass fucked. at the end of the day. Yep. yep. Know that you will die. <laughs> yep. Uh, work to make it so that when you do, the people you interacted with in your life will like miss and respect you. Know that odds are you won't be remembered beyond a generation or two after you pass, and that's freeing in some way. Uh, same way that like nobody at Wendy's will remember you clogging the toilet last weekend. <laughs> so have at it. Being a good, uh, productive person is a never-ending effort. There's no switch that has ever hit for permanent perfection, so you have to always work at it, and you will often fail, and that's okay as long as you learn from it and like continue to make the effort. And finally, remember, I'm just some indie podcast host that you've never met and doesn't understand your individual circumstances in life at all and factor that in heavily. Or... You can come to my self-help seminar at my rustic surf camp in Florida where you can pay to hear the same stuff in a never-ending variety of ways and cover my tab for a surf bum lifestyle that increases my happiness by a large margin until it doesn't. Because remember, I'm a very flawed person too. Well, I might make you break up with your girlfriend. That's true. Yeah. Final scores, boys. Man, that was your uh, Jordan Peterson. I did. Ways, yeah. like, I book the right there. Oh, man. And, you know, there's always that the question that's asked a lot. You know, if you could have a conversation with one person, mm -hmm. you know, uh, dead or alive. Yeah. Who would it be? You know, and I always think about it. And I, I think, you know, alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right. Anyway. Classic. So my final thoughts for Tony Robbins. Um, Before we get into final thoughts, do you guys have any uh, life lessons we can give to our listeners that I, I just went through a whole list? Man, that was actually a beautiful list. I liked it, it Mikey. Was a great list. Like, yeah, it was a great I love list. that you kind of put yourself out there and that- uh, There was a lot of room to work here because there's not shit about Tony Robbins. So, <laughs> right. Ultimately, I did what Tony Robbins does and I talked about myself. There you go. I love it. it. It was very vague in a sense. Like it didn't actually like go into any of like your like real life. That's right. It can't. Like nobody know, can know that examples. I do this podcast at work. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do applaud you for going out there and putting yourself out there. And man, I would buy the book right now. Thanks. So, you I'll, know. I'll, I'll build on that and start trying to sell it. <laughs> I don't read or buy many books unless I really have to. So I wouldn't buy it. But I <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, why buy the milk? How to win friends and influence people by why, Randy. Why buy the milk when you can get the cow for free, man? Like, you're one of my best friends. I get this shit on the reg, son. Yeah, Randy's not buying the book when he sees it on Amazon to support his friends. He's like, where's my free copy, bro? I know. And also, they're like, this dude's full of shit. <laughs> I've seen his life. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. All right, so, you know, the one thing, I was looking for some dirt. We got a little bit of it, right? Um, the whole pinning the girl against the tree. Yeah. Um, that was kind of wild, right? Like It was not a tree. It was a beanstalk. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the whole fucking camp saw it go down, um, and he didn't get in any trouble for it, and that's kind of fucked up. But, you know, I guess I'm glad you went into kind of the depth 
that you did in terms of what it fucking looks like to go to a Tony Robbins like thing, right? And yeah, absolutely. I had no clue. I have no interest in it. Right. Um, but the detail you laid out was great. So you can kind of see like the mind manipulation games yep. that he kind of plays with people. Yep. And that's fucked, man. Um, so I don't know, you know, to close him out, I had him initially at what a five, six, seven, I think it was. That's correct. Uh, when you talk about the mental manipulation that kind of goes into his game, but at the same time, he's offering a lot of positive things to some folks. I'm going to take him up just a little bit at a 5.78. This is going to be my final score for Tony Robbins. Okay. 5.78? Yep. Okay. 5.78 from buddy. Randy. Yeah, buddy. What do you got? All right. So for me, um, this was an eye opener of a show for me because I, I didn't know Tony Robbins. You know, I've seen the little small little clips online of him and it always seems like he's, you know, on the up and up. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to make you a better person, try to realize whatever flaws that you have and try to overcome them. And, you know, that's why my score on the beginning was so low at a three point five. I'm like, dude, this guy is really trying to help people and, yeah. you know, move forward. But, ostensibly that's his product yeah, yeah. That's what he'd like to do yeah but i mean like he really just does seem like he's the top of the pyramid on the mlm and yeah. really trying to do anything that he can to keep on you know keeping his cash cow going yep and uh that's 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 messed up you know like like randy alluded to just a minute ago about you know like the molestation uh, allegations and especially like the one girl she was underage too mm-hmm. like we don't know if it's true, but yeah. it's, it feels like with Celeged. that many people observing and that many, yeah. it feels like it's very, very possible. I yeah. see smoke. Yeah. You know, a lot so, of smoke. Yeah. So that's, you know, the, and, you know, and then you get into, it's one thing to be a motivational speaker and go out there and really charge up your audience and really get them moving in the, in the way that they need to be moving. But when you hear about the stuff that Mikey alluded to where he was basically bullying people in the audience, like the one, the one girl that he was like, you need to break up with your, with yeah. your boyfriend, you know, right now, right here. Like, you know, that the people that are attending that these seminars are are missing something out of their lives yeah. and they're looking for something to come out of these oh, seminars. Yeah. That's and why stuff they paid like $5,000 to be there. Yeah. yeah 100%. You know what I mean? Absolutely. There's the, the mark right there. Well, and well, interestingly enough, after the those two cases I was talking about, like the one he had her break up with her, her yeah. boyfriend and the girl that was a part of the children of the God, uh, children of God or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They actually followed up a little bit after that, and the lady that had called and broken up with her boyfriend, they were interviewing her like right after, and she was like, "I'll be honest, she's like when I went back to my hotel, I felt like I got the dickhead version of Tony, and he got like she got like the loving version of Tony, and I was like, oh, oh, so you're seeing." This the uh, real Tony, but then she was yeah. like, and I realized that that's what I needed, though. That's what uh, I needed, uh, and I was God. like, "Damn, girl, I would so, love to follow." You up were so see- close to yeah. like, but to like seeing through this fucking yeah. smoke, but yeah. hook, line, so and sinker, yeah. he got you. And she was just like, "That's right, that's what I actually needed, and that's why he did that to me. That's why he was such a dick to me." Uh, see, uh, I hate that. I hate that. That makes me sad. You know, and I hate people that prey on people like this. Yeah. And I had greater expectations out of Tony. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is it, it just this deflating, to, to, to say the least. Yeah. And then when you sit there and talk about the girl that grew up in a cult, basically, yeah. and had a lot of like sexual molestation things brought against her. And then he's like, you're going to pick three uncles. Like, yeah. it, it, it was gross. It was yeah. awful. It was awful. And yeah. like that, that girl needs like legitimate help. Now. 
he did offer her like some treatment like that they that they paid for. Yeah. Somebody came out there and like they actually ended up the Doctor Phil line at the end. We're gonna get you the help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly yeah. right. And she ended up getting somebody gave her like fifty thousand dollars that was there at the thing or whatever, and they were well off or whatever. And then like and he's in the limo like after this, and then they're talking about it the next day, and they're. The, his team is stoked. They're like, "Oh my god, that was such a huge breakthrough! It's so amazing!" And and then and then he says, "He's did you hear that uh, she had sold all of her stuff to come here? She oh sold everything off to come here." And in his mind, he was like, "She was at the end of her rope, and I saved her." And I was like, "Oh my god, no! This 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 chick literally sold everything she had to come to this, and it worked out for her." But what about the other people that he didn't talk to in the audience yeah. that didn't get the $50,000 yeah. or whatever it was? Yeah, and I mean, even still, like, he's exploiting this one person, like, hardcore. And it's like, you know what, I'm just going to throw some cash at it at the end, and, you know, hopefully it works out good. Yeah. yeah. You know? I yeah. mean, that's... I don't know, man. Like he seems just basically like a snake charmer here at the end of the day. And that's yeah. just, that's just really sad. Yeah, no, that that's whole right. industry yeah, is that. That's and right. that's actually what I ended up having to deal with. It was because there wasn't much about him. You have to talk about the industry that they're in. Yep. Yeah. And it goes back all the way back to guys like Roan guys, like, you know, the people that wrote the, the stupid fucking diet. Zig Ziglar. Book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have like corporate people that are like, Oh cool. You know, they have a narrow definition of like, I'll help you get better at, uh, interacting with like the, the, the corporate structure. That's one thing. He's like a one size fits all. I'll fix everything for you motherfuckers. And again, Oprah put him on blast again, like everybody else. Yeah. And I mean, like that's, it's her next Dr. Oz in the yeah. sense, yeah. you know what I mean? And so I'm not surprised by that. I I came into the show like, like, Hey, this is a good guy. You know, he's really trying to help out. And then just, just to hear everything that we've uncovered here in the courtroom today. That's why I love why we do the show. Yeah. yeah because I learn it, a lot, right? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm here thinking that this is a good guy, and then like you just hear the facts. It'll it'll you. fucking warp your perception of humanity if you yeah. listen long enough. Yeah, will show you that the people you think are great have they're flawed. You know what? Yeah. They're flawed. That's at the end of the day, that's what it is. We're flawed. Nobody's perfect, but no. But yeah. also, and, but I don't, I don't, I don't criticize people for that. But sure. at the end of the day, when you're sitting there profiting off of other people's. Mm -hmm. Uh, using this as your platform yeah. yep. and to to monopolize on that, like fuck that. That's uh, that's bullshit, and that's what I'm glad that this show is able to expose people like that too. So initially, I I had him at a three point five, but you know, like to me, he reminds me of almost like an Anna Delphi, uh, like type person, where it's like he presents himself as one thing but is absolutely something else uh, uh, okay. by comparison yeah so for me i'm gonna put him at a 6.66 okay which is what we had anna delvey at and, and uh, I, anton levey yeah and anton levey and Chevy chase you know what i mean so yeah no 6.66 is my final score for tony robbins 6.66 for buddy mikey take us home okay so this was literally the hardest show i've ever had to write for this for for the show Hardest episode I've had, uh, that, ever had to write. That's crazy. Yeah, because there wasn't much there. And also, I, I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was, it was a little tougher because normally the source material that you have and their their background and biographies allow you to sort of, uh, you know, to sort of build on that. But there wasn't much there. So a lot of what I had to do was kind of go into the self-help genre itself and, and, and what that is. And, and it's, it's a bag of tricks. Mostly you almost had to reverse engineer this episode. I right? did. Yeah, yeah no. I did. And I actually, a lot of times I'll, I, most of the time that I write these shows, it's a lot of reading, but uh, for this show, 
I had nothing. There was the source material was so thin that it, ultimately I had to really just like attend the seminar. Yeah, it pushed you as a podcaster. It did. It did <laughs> to, and, to move forward. That's and, right. Thank explored. you, Tony Robbins. Yeah. It, was a, it was a breakthrough. It was a breakthrough for me. That's awesome. Um, and it was uh, again. I can't even describe. My wife came home, and I was because that day I was uh, working from home because I was getting a, a dryer delivered to my house, and I was like, "This is an opportunity. I'll just watch this show." And she came home, and she was like, "What the fuck are you watching, man?" And I was like, "It's because uh, she's like, oh, it's, it's for for the show or whatever." But if I and, told her that I was like, "I've I found the secret life," <laughs> and I think right now are just like she may be considering like a divorce. And luckily, Tony didn't influence you to divorce your wife. No, yeah, yeah. No. in the process. No, I'd be the guy on the uh, uh, like other end of the line. <laughs> to be honest, let's be real. <laughs> He'd tell my wife, "Call in, break up with him." Yeah. My wife is the better. This is the better half. That's it. That's it. Real thing. So uh, I don't know. Anyways, I just background for you guys. Like these shows, a lot of times it's not easy to write these shows necessarily, but this one was exceptionally hard. Well, kudos, and, sir. It yeah, was a good episode. Good. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so anyways, uh, Tony Robbins is up there with Pat Robertson and stuff like that for me. It's the same fucking hamburger at the end sure. of the day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're selling, uh, you're pitching to people that are desperate. And that was interesting because I thought of Joel Austin as you were yeah, talking about this yeah. and all of those kind of like uh, church guys yeah. that are like just, yeah. It's a different pitch. Yeah, same 100%. Thing. Didn't we do Joel Austin? No. No. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. Which should be somebody that we should do. Right. Yeah, we will. But yes, it's, it's a it's a different pitch. Same hamburger, same thing. You're 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 reaching out to people that are desperate, uh, and you're giving them a different product. Yeah. Whether it's like eternal life or it's how to fix yourself. Yep. And I think he knows goddamn well what he's doing. Yeah. One hundred percent. And uh, he instead of going to college, he went to you know uh, gladiator. Self help you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so end of the day, just to just cut this all uh, short, uh, I'm gonna put him at a six point one two. He's a fucking asshole. I think he, in a sense, I think he thinks that he's doing well, but I think he also knows. He knows. He knows, and that's what uh, that's the sad part about it. Yeah. Because then it just turns into uh, you know you're doing whatever you do for monetary gain. At yeah. the end of the day, and uh, fuck that. Yeah. And our our, our 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 scoreboard is getting so wild that we're having to throw out like uh, sort of like anomalous numbers out there. Try to bust it up a little bit. Yeah, we're it's hey. not long before we start hitting decimals. <laughs> I, I I rate him pi. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, with a five point seven eight from Randy, a six point six six from Buddy, and a six point one two from Mikey. Tony Robbins' final asshole score is a 6.19. 6.19 is going to put him in some interesting territory. At 6.1, we've got my pillow founder and conspiracy theorist wacko Mike Lindell, hey. as well as Kanye West is at a 6.1, or should I say ye? Yay. 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 Right. Well, you just call him Nazi. Yeah, And then uh, right after that, you would have tonight's show subject, Tony Robbins at 6.19. Just above him at 6.2 is Jake Paul. Okay. okay. All right. So okay. right in that territory, Mike Lindell, Kanye West, and Jake Paul is where Tony Robbins will fall. All okay. right. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. As always, we appreciate your support. Go check us out on patreon.com slash AHC podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash AHC podcast. 
put the whole thing in. Check it out. You're going to get access to our conspiracy court shows. We put polls up for future voting rights on uh, other episodes of Asshole Court. Uh, you're going to get shout outs, free swag. It's the jam. Go check it out. We love you. Thank you for all your support. We'll if you're a baller in the fart circle, you get a cool cup. Hell yeah. And or you did. Stickers. And, <laughs> you know, we occasionally send pictures of our own asses. That's right. Yeah. And there was Check that out. one uh, user that got a nude picture of all three of us for his birthday. That's right. So kind of. That's exclusive. Check that out only <laughs> at patreon.com slash HC podcast. We love you. Be kind to one another. And we'll see you next time on Asshole Court.